Please be seated. These weeds, do we gather them up and throw them away now, or do we wait to the end of the age? We spend so, so much of our time and energy and intelligence and resources trying to figure out who's a weed and what's a weed and can we get rid of it and make the situation pure for ourselves and for one another. And yet God keeps telling us, it's okay. Hold off. I'll take care of the judging. I'll take care. Let, let us grow together. Acceptability is my problem, God keeps saying. The nets bulge, bring the nets in, and then we will sort the fish. And Jesus says we're to be fishers of people, of all people, even the strange cookies and the knuckleheads and the odd ducks and the, as Salman Rushdie likes to say, the plenty maw fishes in the sea. Bishop Singh's always talking about radical hospitality, and this is what he's talking about. And this week, when we're hearing the news from Norway that chills our blood and makes us just stunned at the intense wrongness when people try and weed out and determine acceptability and judge one another and take action, it's clear to us that we're not just supposed to sit back and bide our time and wait for God to make a peaceful world. We have to take an active role in acceptance, an active role in hospitality. The parable goes deeper. Matthew will talk about the mustard seed and will talk about a little bit of leaven that affects the whole, the whole load of flour. And on the surface we might think, yes, this is about a, like the butterfly effect. A butterfly waves its wings and there's a a windstorm somewhere across the globe. But what Jesus wanted us to understand is that it's a radical concept. It goes against our native immediate instincts to do these things. A mustard plant is a weed, and uh, when we say it's for the birds, that may look like a picturesque image to some of us who own binoculars and Audubon guides, but to a farmer, it's not a good thing. Uh, same with a, a little bit of leaven. Those of us who have refrigerators and like to do some baking, that's great. But for those, those people Jesus was listening, uh, was talking to, one bit of leaven could ruin their entire supply of flour forever. It could change it, transforming it into something completely different and perhaps conventionally unusable. Jesus is talking about radical change. And we have to understand that these changes we're bidden to make are radical also. We're not equipped to detect acceptability, to determine who's right and who's wrong, to delegate the usefulness of all God's creation. We are told to let it grow. Let it grow and its weediness will be determined at the end of the age, which means not you, not me, not now. Let it grow. I just spent a really wonderful week at Chautauqua, and the subject was art, and how transformative art on any level is vital to a culture that wants to be its true self and wants to flourish. 
the joy and the beauty and the value of art are a number one priority as opposed to a result that we can get to. In other words, we can't say to ourselves, well, when our ducks are in a row, when our economy is perfect, then we can have art programs, then we can take care of the environment, then we can take care of the poor. It's the other way around. Our ducks will never be in a row, and we will never be the people we want to be unless we take care of each other's souls and the place we live in and our artistic souls first, first. The leaven will sour, but it will change and change forever like an apple in a barrel. It's a very negative image that Jesus uses, but he wants to make sure that everyone knows that there's radical change necessary, not just a minor adjustment. And these changes are not just in the community of humankind, not just global, not just national or local or even in the parish, they're in ourselves as well. A radical change has to take place with radical action, a real determined effort to do something different. And so at the end of the age, we too will be purified. Not just that all the good will be here and all the bad will be gnashing and weeping, it's that all will be made good. Now what if God is telling us not that there's going to be a separation, a sheep and goat separation, and there's going to be a lot of people over there gnashing and weeping, code for gone, but that everyone will go to heaven and everyone will be cleansed and purified and that all the things that I might regret will be gone and all the conflicts that we have with one another will be gone and we'll all be together. That's a possibility. Jesus is here to announce that you can get a head start. You can get the early bird special if you want to. But it's going to happen to all of us sooner or later. Now we look at Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon. And when we think about Solomon, he's David's actual son, according to the story, his biological son. And of course, we have to bear in mind that when the story of Jesus' birth is written in the Lucan narrative, He's of the house and lineage of David, and we are the people of David. So when Solomon prays, that's how we're supposed to pray. Just as when Jesus teaches us to pray, we pray that way. When David says that he wants to be kept as the apple of God's eye and hidden under God's wing, we are to want that too. And so when Solomon prays, it's a model prayer for us. Solomon talks about uh, humility. He talks about his inability to do things on his own. He talks about the gratitude for being given a choice about whether or not to follow God. And he talks about his certain knowledge that God's help alone will allow him to be who he wants to be. The son of David, the son of man, is also the son of a son of a gun. That's you and me. We are insufficient in and of ourselves, and so we must trust in the help of God. So these add up to the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon, of course, fails spectacularly in his follies later in his life. He also writes at length about how the sensual part of life and the spiritual part of life are intertwined and cannot be separated in the, the Song of Solomon, but the, those are sermons for another day. 
the word at Chautauqua, which was extremely hot, the power went out, and even if you don't have AC, at least a fan helps, and there was nothing. It was brutal, but it was only for a day. And otherwise, it was an amazing and lively week that I had a chance to see how other people worship, how other people approach their godliness. And it's so gratifying to know that we're on the right track. No matter what angle you look at it from, I uh, participated in a, a Sikh meditation service, and there's a, a, a mantra that you say when you're meditating, and the breath is satnam, satnam. And the fellow uh, explained what the, the meaning of this is, and it's the name of God, the truth of God, God's name, I am truth, are many different um, slight variations in the, in the uh, translation of Satnam, but the idea is that as you breathe in and out, and I said, hey, wait a second, we do that back at our place. When we say Yahweh, that's what it is. It's the breath of God. When, when Moses asked God what his name is, he says, I am. I am. Uh, Jesus says, I am the truth. Uh, John's gospel begins with in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. And what it is described as by the Sikhs as not an explanation, not an analysis of the theology of the moment, not any of that. It's just a seed, a seed that can transform the life so that any time during a day, not just when you're participating in the, in the meditation, but any time during the day, you can say that little breath, we have an orthodox tradition that's, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. And it's a way of reorienting your life to an awareness and an attitude that seeks help and seeks to change the road that we're on. It turns us into different people, the kind of people whose hearts and arms are open to joy and to art and to the influence and care of all God's children. Because like our forebear, our psalmist David, we're all panting for the water of guidance. We're all weeping at our failures when they come. And like Solomon, we're longing for the wisdom that will enable us to make better choices, that will align us with the goodness of creation. In our case, it is clear. The community we habit, inhabit is wise and godly only when we refuse to pass judgment on others and refuse to exclude them, even the odd ducks, even the strange cookies, and especially all those plenty more fishes in the sea. Amen.